and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dyster. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week, I have Donald Nosick, and he is quite an interesting person to actually talk to. He's a chief marketing officer at Sherco and UHSM. He also has done everything in between as C-level agency officer, entrepreneur. He's helped a hundred of CMOs, VPs, directors of marketing to get the best out of their strategy when it includes a for-profit company and its nonprofit organizations. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So welcome to the show, Donald. Thank you, Brett. Good to be here. Yes, we're happy that you're here as well. But my first question is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I'm a little reluctant to answer, and then it might uh, incriminate me with the host and lose favor, but it's it's iced tea for me from morning to evening. That's my go-to. Oh, I, I love both, so it doesn't really matter to me what you do. I love tea and I also love coffee, but I mean, in the morning, I always drink coffee. <laughs> okay, great. And... Can you give a brief overview about your expertise? I gave a little bit, but can you give a little bit more f- for our audience? Sure. So currently I am chief marketing officer at Sherco. It's a healthcare and technology holding company. As you said, we have a close nonprofit partner that we work with and partner with and have helped really build and grow their mission. It's called UHSM HealthShare. My background, I brief is tough, I guess, because I'm I'm kind of at the older end of the spectrum, but that pre-Lycos Alta Vista kind of days. But the, the the truth is, I started my career in uh, journalism and marketing communications. Again, at the risk of a, the host, I'm a Long Beach State alum, so go Beach. Sorry, sorry, Cal State Fullerton fans there. But first job in that realm was in journalism so as a magazine publisher and i think that's really helped as we move forward in the marketing advertising pr professional world understanding what is a good story uh, how to pitch those stories to the press i I think that's where i I began my career Uh, by 24 i had convinced the vp of my division that i could be the lead editor of a publication after my boss unexpectedly quit and from there, I, I got more and more launch titles and then quickly moved into the whole internet age. And by 30, I was co-founding the new agency concept. Now people might call them like a digital agency, but at the time it really didn't exist. It was me as like a CRM and online sweepstakes specialist with a PR specialist and then somebody who was a a rock and roll artist friend of mine that was kind of figuring out how to manipulate search engines. And we kind of combined all those in one, launched uh, an agency. Since then, I've co-founded and launched several digital agencies. And then now, like I said, I'm, I've taken that proverbial client-side leap here at Sherco a couple of years ago. Nice. And by the way, the rivalry doesn't really matter to me anymore. So you're all good there. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> It's not like we're great at any one sport, either the the schools, so I understand. No, I think Cal State Fullerton was great in baseball. I'm not so sure nowadays, but they were pretty good for a while. <laughs> but what has changed with leading a marketing team in 2021? Because it feels like there has been some type of change, but I'm not quite sure which one. Yeah, so I guess in 
our world, I would say, you know, marketing, advertising, PR, I think this change to the virtual workforce because of the pandemic and everything, it doesn't feel like that big of a change in my world. I'm kind of used to it. I think a lot of the people we work with and in, in traditional companies, that is a big change for them. The way I see it, though, is the government spending, the isolation anxiety, this cancel culture mentality. What, what really happened in COVID is everything was accelerated. And I think what's really changed for us and as marketers, advertisers, and PR specialists is that the idea of doing good is really now here to stay. I think back um, a couple decades ago, I had a, a VP of marketing at United Healthcare as a client, and she moved out of brand marketing to go start. She was going to become the first like cause marketing VP. And then you've heard corporate social responsibility explode over the last few years. And I think a lot of times that's just like a stamp or lipstick on something and, and it's a reaction and it's not authentic. But I think the essence of doing good as brands, corporations, it's not going to go away. It can't be faked. And if you try to, the consumer is not going to tolerate the duplicity. So I think that's what I've seen that's changed the most. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, there is authenticity, but it seems like almost depending on what groups you're in now, it, it can't come off as inauthentic. So how do you navigate the different groups? Because you're going to make one upset or the other. It doesn't really matter. It almost feels like you have to choose a side. But I think for brands and for our partners that we work with, it just comes down to being really clear about what your mission is. And then you don't have to sway or pick a side. You just have to be true to yourself. That's really what it comes down to. Gotcha. And about strategizing campaigns for your for-profit business, how does that benefit your nonprofit that you work with to actually make it more, I guess, in harmony? Or how do you benefit both of them in the same way? Yeah, I I think that's, you know, the essence of strategy at the end of the day. So if we're trying to align, whether it's what we do as a for-profit business, helping with some of the healthcare technology that then helps power the nonprofit health sharing partner, UHSM of ours, it's finding where the common ground is and, and then trying to work from there. So again, I know it's, it's a little cliche, but it really is about alignment with mission and purpose, getting to the essence of that and how you can find that shared common ground there that you can create the the win-wins moving forward. If you do strategy, there's tons of tactics, there's tons of approaches, but it comes down to sort of listening and then just mapping out the alignment. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what happens if you get out of alignment? How do you get back to that harmonizing because it can happen you can be like oh this is going to be great and you're like uh that's not as good as i thought it was going to be <laughs> i think that's that's a good point um to get back in alignment i think it's a it's a i i, I think there's something here that uh, we talk about which is um really monitoring the progress of things that you assign so a campaign that you launch i think too often we we launch things and then we move on to the next and there has to be more monitoring in between and also 
really assessing what we learn from each move or each approach or each campaign that we launch. And so I, I have to constantly remind ourselves because you're, you're always in the go, go, go mode. Take time to make sure that we're monitoring and evaluating. Did we get what we originally asked for out of this and how could it have gone better? I think that's where it comes in. It's that sort of review process. Mm -hmm. And how do you get to basically lead your team to work well together? How do you make it in this, I guess, virtual environment now? Because prior you could actually just harmonize face to face, but now that doesn't really happen. So you miss a lot of cues. So how do you keep that team cohesive? I guess is the best way of saying it. Right. Like I said, I think a couple decades of of having people all over the country and the world that sort of are part of a team. And as an agency, you're used to working with other agencies, uh, the brand itself, other partners. So the collaboration is never like in one building. So I think, but what's always been consistent and what people are, are finding out in this new world to create a high functioning team is that you, you have some central things, right? You have to have some kind of messaging system in real time like email and phone don't work so do you have teams or slack or what kind of chat system are you using back in the day we used to use aol instant messenger like that's how long i've been doing this where we would put the whole team on it right and then you have to also have somewhere where you keep projects and files organized in the cloud and i think again that's easier and easier these days no, but the big no-no in our world is always don't keep anything on your local drive that you're going to fail somebody. But again, I go back even two decades ago, we had a peer-to-peer kind of server tool called Groove that was bought by Microsoft Networks. And so you need a couple of those tools to keep everybody anchored to the same thing. But because you don't have those flyby sort of in-office, like casual water cooler conversations or somebody just popping in, I think what you really have to do is keep it fun and and keep that personal touch. And that's really just making time at the beginning and end of meeting sometimes to do that. How's it going? How was the weekend? What'd you guys do? Because you can't do that in person anymore. You can't just run from business meeting to business meeting. You got to leave time for the personal connections. Mm -hmm. I mean, that even goes into my next question about how you basically keep a high functioning team really a, productive from working from home? How do you keep them going with the vision or the strategy? Is there that personal time? Is there that virtual happy hours or whatever? Is that is that part of the equation? We actually did that. It was really fun. We had a, a group of artists that have worked with everybody from like NXS and Def Leppard and, and like true musicians that own their craft. And they did a virtual happy hour for us. It was a ton of fun. We kind of had some trivia and at the end they kind of created a jingle for Sherco. And it was a it was a lot of fun, brought everybody together. And that that energy just from that event alone lasted like three, four months. And and the, you know, people still talk about it today, uh, six, seven months later. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I mean, if anything to keep morale high is probably the best way of saying it, because if you don't keep morale high, no one wants to be productive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those same conversations that you would have in person, again, it's kind of like leaving time, being really intentional with your meetings, making sure that you you don't just 
give lip service to like any questions at the end of the meeting, but you really take the time and pause and go around the room. What are you thinking? What are we missing? What might we not have thought about here? We kind of follow that 10th person rule. Uh, a member on my team keeps, he brings up World War Z way too much for the, <laughs> the quality of the movie that was. But that's actually a, a kind of really rooted rule. It goes way back. But essentially, like if we're all in the room agreeing without any objections, that's that's when the, our signals should go up and say, whoops, what are we not thinking about? How can we pressure test this? We've got to hold true to some of those, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, but you're always going to expect the unexpected. So how do we get ready for those things? I think making sure, again, in your meetings, virtually even, that you create time for those types of conversations. Yeah, I mean, what you're basically saying is groupthink. You don't want groupthink to hamper anything. I mean, I I think in one of my college courses, I think they told me, I think it was organizational communication, they said to ha always have one person, the, ad the devil's advocate, but keep on changing the devil's advocate. So... One person will be like, I object to this. And then next week, another person or next day. So yeah, for those out there, you might want to try that just to make it. So that one person that you keep on making the devil's advocate doesn't get a lot of hate for it too. Absolutely. And you're right on. Like you have to change the hat is the way that I learned it with uh, Edward de Bono thinking like you have to put on the different hat. And so everybody can wear that devil's advocate hat at different times. And that's also when you're doing groupthink, the other way is like, so if you're trying to think of something positive in a brainstorm, like you can, then nobody's allowed to wear the devil's advocate, right? So then we all put on the, like all ideas are good hat. And then we all take those off and somebody put, we all put on the, uh oh, what could go wrong hat. And I think if you do it that way, you, you find better outcomes. And, and you, again, you, you poke holes in this idea, like bias is, is dangerous, right? If you come in and out of those meetings with bias and you don't challenge it, then that's where things can go wrong. We always say there's more power in questions than answers. And so we encourage everyone on the team to continue to ask those questions. Gotcha. I mean, it may be difficult, and this could also lead to another question about the difference between introverts and extroverts, because you have to communicate them in different ways because extroverts they'll just say whatever they want to for the most part because they just always have something to say but introverts sometimes you have to go with them one-on-one -on -one. so how do you navigate that as a leader to figure out who's the introvert and who's the extrovert to try to get the most out of people's ideas i guess i think you know that's a great point you learn that over time and you're right like one size doesn't fit all you have to manage the, the each team member in the way that they want to be managed but what we do tactically to accomplish that is we do have those group meetings and then we always have the one-on-ones. So regardless of how somebody wants to get managed, they're going to get managed in both ways at some point. And they're going to be encouraged in both situations to be candid and to challenge assumptions and that they won't get berated for those challenges. Yeah. And I mean, transitioning more to like the sales part of marketing, because marketing and sales go hand in hand. How does all the great sales and all the great strategies help to translate or help the nonprofit initiatives that some companies might have? They may not actually have a nonprofit, but they may actually help other nonprofits. Yeah. So, you know, sales versus marketing, like you said, it's this age old battle. The way that we've always won, like whether 
it's this combination of our Sureco for profit helping a nonprofit like UHSM HealthShare, or whether it's just within your own company or whether it's an agency client relationship. I've always found like the key is really being clear on what the coordination handoff is between marketing and sales, what the expectations are. And that goes down to like a marketing person should know every bit of the sales process. They should know the sales script. They should actually be able to take somebody through it. And conversely, the sales team should know exactly where the leads are being generated, how they're being generated, where these people are coming from. And and if both sides really understand that, then they can figure out exactly where they're supposed to meet for that handoff coordination. Gotcha. And with that, I mean, we talked a little bit about delegation or even just communicating with your subordinates. How do you delegate effectively to utilize your employees or subordinates skills to get the best out of them to create great campaigns? So we have some some really amazing professionals here with MBAs and, and tons of experience, but we also have interns. I'm a big believer in giving everybody a shot. Like on our team alone, we have this wide range of experience and backgrounds. And I think new or old, what it comes down to is finding like ownership of something that each team member can execute well. The sort of apprentice show, I I hate to mention Trump in a way, but the show was cool because it sort of assigned a project manager in each uh, episode. And I think that approach is good. Like who can project own this particular item? Every project manager doesn't own every project. That's really what we see is like, even if you're a two week old intern, we're going to find something that can challenge you. And that you will then go and report back to us as a team how it's going. You'll keep track of it. And I think we encourage that leadership from day one. And my experience is these young people will pleasantly surprise you more often than not if you continue to challenge them. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like taking responsibility in some ways. You said ownership, but also taking responsibility for your work or whatever aspect you're trying to do. Absolutely. Gotcha. And when it comes to basically creating content, because that's the other piece of the puzzle with strategy is content is almost everything. It seems like not saying that not a good strategy is not extremely needed, but the other pieces, how do you keep in mind to create content for your for-profit and your nonprofit at the same time? Because they could be the same industry, but they could be a little bit different and they'd have different needs. Right. I think, Most of the time you have to know the content you want to create separately for each organization. And so that's, and and being very clear, we, we kind of think in content buckets or themes. And so what areas of content are you going to continue to create? And then which types of formats are you going to create content within those buckets? And I think just being consistent with those, it's good. So any content that's created, that aligns with your mission, it's good. When you can find that common area in the middle, this sort of like Venn diagram, and we can match that, then I think the content's great. And so that goes back to the strategy. Like how can you find the commonality in it so that one plus one does no longer equal two, but maybe it's four or six or 10 because the uh, force multipliers sort of connect and, and you can amplify 
the message in a way that separately you could not. Gotcha. And what has been some of your most successful campaigns? So I, I'm going to go back to, in today's world, ad blockers and personal privacy, the death of the cookie. I don't think that advertising is going to work in the for bottom funnel search engines people are ready to buy portals and shopping like e-commerce that's that's all great but when you're trying to create demand or awareness like that that interruption advertising is not going to work anymore and so it does come back to the storytelling the story doing and then that comes back to being authentic to your brand and then i think and the smartest brand these days are going to find something that they can align with with their consumers in a meaningful way that they have a mission and a purpose for some kind of good that's beyond just the commerce exchange so our most successful ones are the ones that are sort of more community and, and good based these days. Gotcha. I mean, I agree with you with at least the SEO side of ads. It seems like ads are being basically better on like, for example, podcasting. It seems like most people are okay with listening to ads on podcasts than they are on actual TV, which I think I just read that a few weeks ago. So like 75% of people are okay with that. So I think ads from an SEO and more web perspective, you're right. It's going to die, but I think it's going to morph into something else. That's just what I think. I would agree with that. And I guess what I would say is too, is like the word ad, the way I look at when we advertise with podcasts or any kind of show that it's really more of a partnership. Like you don't want to just buy spots. If I'm speaking to somebody that's a podcast trying to sell spots, I, I apologize, but I don't think that's the type of relationship you want. I think you want a partnership that's more long-term, more meaningful, more connected. You don't want to fly in and fly out of a bunch of podcasts, but like find the ones that really resonate with your brand and your mission and then kind of stick to them. And then now you're also aligning on content that you both believe in, the message helps amplify each other, the influencer, the brand, the producer of the content, the the consumer of the content, everybody's winning from a situation like that. Yeah, I agree. And for those out there that are looking into doing ads for podcasting, always do about a six month or more partnership, basically is best way of saying it. Right. Yeah, I agree. You can't just try it for two weeks. That's that's not gonna work. No, because podcasting is all about build up and it builds up over time. It's not a quick little hit you might you might get some quick little hits but it's a build-up process so this is a long-term bet not a short-term bet is probably the best way of saying it yeah we derided the whole choosing of sides i guess a little bit in the conversation but in this case that's the way you can't fight against the way society is doing so i think you do need to choose your sides a little bit choose your partners and then move forward together that's fine because you are spending money so you always have to choose when you're spending money. You want to get the most out of your money. Right. And fun question for you. If you could actually create your own for-profit and non-profit company or attached to it, what would you create? Oh, ooh, that's interesting. I think like I would go back to something where they feed off of each other. So I'm not sure this is the one I would create, but let's just say like 
my wife and I love like been in there in like the my hometown show, right? And so they're going and they're going in the communities and they're building up these homes and they're helping people like maybe get their first home start or maybe get out of poverty. There's just this great sort of mission and message behind it. So, and I look at people like somebody that I've admired for a long time. I watched Work Done actually has a foundation that does this and he builds home. He's an ex uh, running back for Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I remember 20 years ago, we actually had his website like uh, at the company I was with. And I remember when he was building the first one and now he's built hundreds as this nonprofit foundation that he's built up. It was kind of a promise to his mom and it, and it's an amazing story. And like people like Warwick and Ben and Aaron, like I think what they're doing is great. And well, what if they could partner with like a Lowe's and a Home Depot and things like that, where now they're fulfilling a great mission, but then a company can come in and also advance their stock price and their mission of good at the same time. Like, so something like that kind of symbiosis is what I would be looking for if I were to create something. All right. I mean, Hey, it's, it's your fun question. So it's a good answer regardless, <laughs> but moving on to any final thoughts. No, I just, thank you again for having me. I think talked a lot about like teams and, and marketing, advertising, PR uh, leadership, and from the interns coming out of college all the way through to the leadership. I would just say like the one thing that I would recommend for everybody, every business professional, but especially in our business, is know your numbers, know how to read analytics and trends, be an Excel spreadsheet wizard. Sure, the things we do are fun and creative, but I think you're lost and you're really nowhere if you don't know your numbers inside and out. All right. Thank you, Donald, for sharing your insight on how to lead teams, marketing and sales and all that other stuff. Thank you, Brett. It's a pleasure. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings. Let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR marketing field. All right, guys, stay safe. Get your numbers. Understand your numbers. Brush up on your Excel skills and see you next week. Later.